Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA, talk about the strategy to determine how much to save to your pre-tax accounts versus your Roth, whether or not to use trading apps and online trading services, whether to take the lump sum or the monthly annuity payment from your pension, and much more. But for the moment, I've asked the fellas to give me a little time to tell a story. I'm producer Andy Last, and Friday the 29th of March was payday, the following Monday the rent was due, and on the weekend in between, I got robbed. On Sunday, I went to Grant Sabatier's San Diego meetup for his book, Financial Freedom, and then I tried to get money from my ATM, and it said my withdrawal limit was reached. And I hadn't used my debit card in six weeks. And I found out that money had been withdrawn from a local ATM the day before on Saturday, two hours after my bank closed for the weekend. And then another bunch of money was taken out the next day, Sunday, while I was at the meetup. And so I was able to freeze the bank card through the bank's website, but I couldn't use my debit card or even report the theft until the bank opened 9 a.m. on Monday. So debit card fraud, it is something that happens regardless of where you bank, regardless of how much money you have in your account. And I knew nothing about it, so I decided it was time to contact somebody who could tell us a little bit about it. So our guest is Ashley Patrick. She's the founder of of BudgetsMadeEasy.com, helping families eliminate debt using simple strategies so they can stress less and live the life they want. But before she started BudgetsMadeEasy.com, Ashley was a police detective for 10 years in North Carolina and helped victims of financial crimes, like this one, sexual assault and domestic violence. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And now, according to FICO, the rate of debit card fraud has almost doubled every year over the last three years. And since that makes budgeting hard, hopefully you can explain to us how ATM fraud happens, what to do when it does, and how to avoid it happening in the future. So let me ask you, first of all, how did the thieves get and use my debit card and my PIN number without having the actual card? Um, a lot of times they put skimmers onto gas station pumps and they will actually have in ATMs. Um, it happens uh, quite frequently, actually. And they've gotten really sophisticated. So they actually have like a little pinhole camera there to see your pin number as well. Wow. Uh, so it, it, it looks exactly like it's supposed to look. Um, some of the things I do whenever I, like I go to the gas pumps is I'll just kind of shake the card reader a little bit if okay. it's loose. Uh, so that's one thing that I do. And then I'll, you know, I'll just kind of quickly scan, make sure if there is tape uh, on it, that it, it isn't broken or anything like that. So it looks just like the card reader. It They put it in there really fast and they don't get caught very often. And it's very sophisticated. So uh, what they do is they get your information and your PIN number and they make a new card with their information on it or a fake ID, you know, that they have matching the card if they need it. Um and they they actually have it where it's Bluetooth now. So in order to get the information from the skimmer, they can just pull into the parking lot and just connect to the Bluetooth and download all the card information. So they just travel around and do this all the time. So it like you said, it could have been, you know, six weeks ago and they just went through wherever you used it, possibly the gas station. Right and downloaded the information and made a new card. And so it's not necessarily just my card. It could be everybody that used that ATM or that, that gas pump that day. Absolutely. I've even had mine stolen a couple times, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, wait um, a minute. I, You're a police detective. <laughs> You're supposed to know better how to keep this from happening. I know. Uh, usually it's my credit card, and I think it's online, because usually when it's used, it's not local. It's like 
California. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <over Okay. there. laughs> I think I, I read that it's actually it's better to use your credit card for making purchases than to use a debit card because there's better consumer protections in place for credit cards. If you're using a debit card, the money's coming directly out of your bank account. Right. Um, the legal protections are supposed to be the same, like it's supposed to be the same as swiping your card, but you're out the money in your right. account. And right. I don't want to deal with that. Right. <laughs> so I'd rather be able to let the credit card company handle it. And I can just shut the card off and go on with my life and wait for a new card as opposed to having my car, my account locked down and right. having to deal with all that. And uh, it's such a hassle. So, you know, I do keep a credit card for online stuff and that helps a lot um, whenever it does um, happen because it honestly it's going to keep happening and it's going to happen to probably everybody right <laughs> like there's not a lot you can do and to that, that end it, when this does happen to someone what are the first steps that they should take I mean my first instance I, I was I was so offended I was like I need to call the cops I need to report a theft Right. Yes, absolutely uh, so what you do is call your bank um, which I'm surprised they didn't let you do it 24 hours, report it 24 hours. So yeah. call your bank and shut the card off immediately and then they'll send you a new card. And then you can, uh, with identity theft, you can report it to your local agency. Wherever you live, report it to them. But you also can report it to wherever it was used. So if it was used across the country, um, in another jurisdiction, you have to dig and find out mm -hmm. who to contact there. So that's kind of a hassle. And a lot of times, honestly, they get so many of these, it's like, well, how am I going to ever figure out who it was? Right. Especially when it's across the country. Yeah. So yeah. it usually gets closed until somebody gets caught and then they'll try and figure it out. I was lucky enough that even though my bank was closed for the weekend on their mobile app and on the website, they have uh, card control features. So I was able to freeze the card on the website until I was able to go in on Monday morning. And obviously I disputed the transactions, the, the money being withdrawn from my ATM, and I was able to get a new debit card immediately. So that was great. Um, and I'm, oh. I'm actually still waiting for the fraud department to call me to, you know, talk about the transactions and all of that. But in the meantime, they've issued me a provisional credit so I was able to pay the rent. So that's really good. I was glad awesome. about that. So now yeah, in future, good. how what do I need to do differently to make sure that this kind of thing, or to, to prevent? I guess you can't make sure, but how do you do your best to prevent this kind of thing happening? I mean, one thing that I heard is don't pay at the pump. Go in. Go inside the store or go inside the, the gas station and pay with the actual person there. You can, um, but that's kind of a hassle. Um, you know, I've got three small kids and I'm not taking them all into the <laughs> gas station to get gas every time. No, thank you. So, you know, you can use a credit card, you know, just in case. That way it's not so much of a hassle if it right. does get stolen. I know some people use gift cards, reloadable gift cards. I've never done that, but I've heard uh, people that do that. And then it kind of helps you stay in your budget as well because, mm -hmm. you know, you got so much on the gift card. So, and then if that gets stolen, you can just get another gift card. Um so those are a couple of things, um, you know, just monitor your bank account for when it happens. So you can dispute it right away and get right. help so that your stuff doesn't get overdrawn and things like that. That uh, is that is one thing that the bank did tell me when I finally got in touch with them was they said uh, to sign up for card alerts or transaction alerts on your account so that you're notified as soon as something happens. Because like in this case, so this was a debit card. So I never use my debit card except in rare instances. So if I had gotten pinged the day before, hey, you know, uh, there was just a transaction on your account, I would have known that much sooner. So that's that's another thing that was suggested by the bank. And then, yes, now I'm, I'm just I'm checking my bank balances daily to find out to make sure that no money is left that I am not responsible for. 
Um, and then the yeah. other thing that I heard is don't carry cards that you don't use regularly. Because yeah. isn't there something called RFID? I, I'm not even sure what that is, but they can like scan it through your wallet or your purse. Yeah, they can. They have these little scanners that they can just walk around and it gets your card information. See, the problem is, is, uh, you know, like, what, two years ago or so, like all the new cards are have uh, the chip and you have to put in the chip reader instead right. of sliding it. It's supposed to help with that. But the problem is, that at least in America, we still have both. <laughs> we still have right. the slide uh, where in other countries they just have the chip just or the chip. some other countries. So um, I think once we make the transition over to just the chip, that'll help with that. But criminals are smart and they, they adapt and they'll just find a new way they'll to do it. They'll find a new way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So these are just some of the tips, some of the ways that you can help combat debit card fraud and to know what to do when it happens to you. And uh, we should mention Ashley Patrick at BudgetsMadeEasy.com. She helps families eliminate debt using simple strategies so that they can stress less and live the life they want. And this comes from personal experience for you, for you doesn't it? You, you, what is it? You paid off $45,000 in debt in 17 months? Yes, I did. I uh, found Dave Ramsey after struggling with a huge IRS bill, uh, which is a long story how that all came about. But I was looking for uh, debt payoff plans and found Dave Ramsey and zero-based budgeting, and the debt snowball, and I got to work. <laughs> Fantastic. And and you were able to quit your stressful day job after paying that rent and or paying that debt, and, and now you're helping other people to to be able to pay off debt, right? Yes. Uh, my friends and coworkers, they saw what I was able to do and how fast I was able to pay it off. And they started asking me how to do it. And so I just helped more and more people and it grew into a business. And so now I help other people do the same thing. BudgetsMadeEasy.com. Ashley Patrick has got a free seven-day budget makeover course and a budget planner there on the website. You can check them out in the show notes at YourMoneyYourWealth.com as well. And thank you both for your, your debt uh, resolution experience and as well as your police detective experience in helping us discuss this uh, issue of debit card fraud. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, now it's time to get to your money questions. If you've got one, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, scroll down to the Ask Joe and Al on air button, and send your question to the fellows as a voice recording or an email. They'll answer it right here on the show. We'll send you a free copy of Larry Swedro's book, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, and we may even send you a video of the fellows' answer. Here they are now, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. There is um, some people that are really looking to get a full financial plan from the email bag. Are you going to read all this stuff? I am going to read the 16 pages that David okay. uh, from Denver sent me. Wow. Okay. Uh, no, he has a short one. Thank you, David. Uh, hello. I love the podcast with Joe and Big Al. I'm a 37-year-old tech professional, and I really enjoy the Roth IRA topics lately. I am blessed to work for a company that offers both 401k and a 457 plan. Recently... The 457 was open up to accept Roth contributions. My personal strategy has been to contribute to the 401k and take advantage of the company match and put all additional contributions next to the Roth 457. My question for you is, uh, have you recommended a pre-tax to Roth ratio or strategy? So what he's looking for, Al, is do we have a, a strategy in mind um, or have recommended a strategy to, to figure out what the appropriate ratio of pre-tax to Roth is. Uh, David, thank you for the telephone call. 
Or I guess email. That was an email. He didn't call us. No. Because I would have heard his voice. <laughs> yeah, she would have heard And he probably would have said, David. Well, uh, you, my name is David from Denver. You would have heard it. You wouldn't have heard it. Yeah. I, I, you're true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> that would be the more proper, proper way to say that. Yes. Do you hear a lot of stuff? <laughs> I do. Sometimes. Oh, okay. boy. Um, what's the ratio, Al? What's the, what's the, what's the pre-text to Roth ratio? That's a good question, David, and and it's a it's a it's a very good question. It's a very difficult one to ask because everyone's situation is different. It's not difficult to ask; it's difficult to, 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 to answer. answer. Yes. Oh, thank you. You're, you're, well, you're, we're correcting each other on this. Yeah, very difficult to answer because everyone's situation is different. But if I had to give a generality, mm-hmm. I would start with uh, the fact that you want to make sure you invest in your four hundred one k to the match. So, bravo! You got you got that right. Yeah, and then so. Uh, Joe, sometimes we will say, then, if you can do a Roth contribution, which uh, for 2019 is $6,000, 7000 if you're 50 and older, uh, go ahead and do that next. And mm-hmm. then come back to your 401k and start you know, putting the rest in there. Now, in this case, it's a little bit more complicated because there's a Roth 450, there's a 457 that has a Roth option. Mm-hmm. So if you take that same logic, then you could say, yeah, contribute to the 401k match first and then go to the 457 and max out the Roth completely uh, and then go back to your 401k. I'm assuming the 401k doesn't does not have a Roth option, which is why you're flipping to the 457. I'm making that assumption. Yep. And I think that's that would be generally a good statement. And, and of course, it, it, at 37 years of age, you know your income is is it's it's more than a twenty year old, so you you're probably in a little bit higher tax bracket. That what I just told you would be kind of a no brainer for a twenty year old. As you get older, it gets a little trickier because you may be in a high enough tax bracket where that may not be the best advice. Yeah, um, I like what, what what David's doing here, um, and I agree with uh, just about everything you said, Al. Uh, Thirty seven tech professional. He's got a 401k 457. The 457 plan, for those of you that are not familiar with the 457 plan, is a non-qualified uh, plan. Uh, so he can take money out of that plan at any age. Uh, there's no 10% penalties there. Uh, so I like that aspect of it. If he jams that thing up in Roth dollars, um, and if he wants to retire a little early, um, he has access to that. So, um, yeah, um, there is no specific ratio. Though what the the math is behind some of the things that we do here at the office is we try to figure out what the ratio needs to be for that individual to keep that individual in the lowest tax bracket possible when it comes time for distributions. So you have to re-engineer all of this stuff versus saying, "Hey, dude, thirty percent in pre-tax." 70% after tax or whatever, right? right? Given your tax bracket, here's your ratio. How how you want to look at this is say, all right, well, if I'm 37 want to retire at 67, I have 30 years. And then I look out 30 years and say, you know, here I'm spending uh, $80,000 today, inflate the $80,000 throughout inflation for 30 years. Now that 80,000 is 160,000. And so you need to figure out an income strategy to create $160,000 of income. But then you'll have Social Security, maybe you have pensions, maybe you have whatever. And then what is your shortfall going to be that is the demand from the overall portfolio? 
So that's how we do planning is kind of forecast out to take a look at where they're going to look at and then come back to today to say, well, this is how much money that they should have in Roth. This is how much money that they should have in retirement accounts. Because you still want to take advantage of retirement accounts because you can still funnel money out of there at a 0% bracket, a 10% bracket, 12 or 15, which are fairly low. Um, so you still absolutely want to take advantage of the pre-tax component of the 401k, take advantage of the match. But like you said, Al, it really depends on his tax bracket to even go more into the 401k or pre-tax to figure out what that ratio should look like. Yeah, and something else uh, would be with a tech company, sometimes you have stock options. And when you exercise those options, in gen- mostly they're non-qualified options, which means whatever the grant price is versus the current price is considered income taxable income right on your W-2, right? Basically treat it as compensation. So if you're in a year where you have a lot of stock options and it pushes you into a high bracket, maybe the highest of brackets, maybe that's the year that you do not put any money into a Roth. You take that tax deduction. But a more regular year when you don't have stock option exercises and you're in a low enough bracket, then I would definitely do as much Roth as you possibly could. We got Kevin from Texas. Um, Hi, I'm a big fan of the show. I love learning about Roth IRAs, and I feel inspired when I listen to you. Here is my financial situation. I will turn 33 in July, wife 31. We have $132,000 in Roth IRAs. Boom. Good job. Oh, 132 in Roth IRAs, 403B, 457 plans, and some taxable accounts, and $22,000 in emergency fund. All right, so he's got $150,000 saved. My 457 plan currently has 23000 It was maxed out last year, and I'm planning to do the same thing in 2019 and 2020. We are planning to take a sabbatical in 2021, in, uh, August 2021 to June 2022. I was born in the Dominican Republic. My daughter will be three years old in 2021, so we plan to enroll her in a bilingual private school in the Dominican Republic and spend some time with her. We'll need about $20,000 for the entire year because the cost of living is very low. Additionally, we will be staying with my parents or at my parents' house, so we won't have to pay rent. I'll also do some online tutoring from overseas. I'm a school teacher, and my district guarantees my salary if I return to the district within three years. My current salary is around eighty grand, and it might go up to ninety starting in August. We get uh, paid per performance at the school district, so he must be killing it. Must be. Good job. Um, if I leave the district for a year, I would draw 20000 for my 457 to pay for my year expenses. I know that you can withdraw money from a 457 plan once you leave your job. My question is, is it possible to, quote, unquote, retire, take money from the 457, and then return to work? Once I return, can I start contributing to my 457 plan again? Can I return to the same employer? I've done a lot of research online and can't find an answer to this question. I appreciate your help. All righty. I got a few things on this, Al. Yeah, well, you're our 457 expert, so you you take it. Okay. Uh, First of all, Kevin, I think what you're doing is fantastic. A sabbatical for a year to go down to the DR. Um, hang out with your three-year-old and chill for a year? That sounds when pretty that, cool, huh? I, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, dude, that's called retirement. Yeah, Alan. I suppose, at my age. <laughs> I don't think it's called a sabbatical. I think it's just called I'm done. I already missed my window, didn't <laughs> yes, I? Yes. Um, all right. <clears throat> so 457 plans, yes. It, it, well, I don't know. Here's the rules when it comes to these stupid plans, 401k plans, 403b, 457s, and everything else. There's a, here's what the IRS states, and then the, there's a plan document. 
Um, in the plan document, will supersede what the IRS states. Whatever's more stringent is actually the law. 457 plans, if I separate from service, I can take money from the 457 plan, spend the money, there is no 10% penalty. In some 457 plans, you don't need even to be separated from service to take distributions from the 457 plan. So, um, so it depends upon the plan. I'm guessing that if he separates from service, but he's taking a sabbatical, so he's still technically on the payroll. Right. Right. He's just not getting paid. And then he's going to go back to that same employer and then say, all right, well, I'm now back to work. I'm going to enroll. I'm going to continue to save into the plan. Um, here's what my guess is, Kevin. I'm going to say, yeah, you're going to have access to the money. Take it out. Spend it. And yes, you'll still be able to enroll. Um, I will ask you this, though. If you could email me um, your school district, and then I'll find out for sure for you. So, okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say those plans that you have, the Roth IRAs, the 43Bs, the 457s, they're, they're designed for retirement, not necessarily sabbaticals. It sounds like you're making good money and you're able to save, and you're not going to do this till August of 2021. I would just come up with a savings plan to, to, to save an extra 20 grand. Over yeah, the why, even, why even go down the path of putting it in yeah. the 457 plan in the first place? Got, got two years. You maxed it out. He said and he plans to do it for the next two years? Yeah, maybe don't do maybe it. Maybe don't max it out. Put it in a, your a savings account. That, that's what I would do. And and try to keep your emergency savings. I think that's a good idea. But it sounds like you have enough income and discipline to be able to cash flow this just by saving over the next couple of years. So that's my thought. Yeah, no, I like your thought a lot better than my guess. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just throwing stuff at the wall Uh, but yeah i i I think that is um, more appropriate uh we got jonathan from san diego hey guys love your website and the podcast it's the only podcast i listen to wow that's quite that's that's thank you jonathan that's nice jonathan (laughs) you need to (laughs) branch out branch out a little bit bro um, there's a lot of really good podcasts out there. Uh, what's your favorite podcast, Al? Oh boy, I, let's see. Dave been, Ramsey? I, no, <laughs> I, 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 I have listened to him. Susie Orman? No, no. I'm trying to. I, I've actually been listening to more books on tape lately. What What would be my favorite podcast at the moment? I just heard one. It's called. It's about earthquakes. It's called the Big One. That one's pretty good. <laughs> it's a podcast on earthquakes. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, why don't you 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 hang out with Jonathan? You you hear the Richter (laughs) scale going. (laughs) (laughs) It's exciting. Okay, actually, it was pretty good. All right, I'm telling you. Okay, Um, so Jonathan, back to him, San Diego. He's 37 year old, just started a new family, and all. um, And I am all of a sudden very concerned with the future of my family and the ability to provide at the end of my career and into retirement. I'm a paramedic in the city of San Diego. Awesome. Thank you for your service. I make about uh, 52K per year. My wife pulls in about 15, working part-time. We have about 16K of debt that we're, um, and we're currently renters. And all debt being school or car loans. Our debt is now being properly managed, and I have a 401K established through my employer. I recently created a high-yield savings account with an online bank and looking into a Roth. I am now wanting to create means of 
secondary income for my future, and I have been considering index fund and ETF investments. In regard to stock trading programs and phone applications, Robinhood, Stash, etc., do you fellas feel that they are appropriate for someone to establish some sort of experience and knowledge base? Or should I just settle down a bit? With the recent changes in my life and watching my father turn 80 this year, it's dawned on me that I may be around for a while and want to be able to keep the lights on. Any advice is very appropriate. Appreciative, probably, is what he wanted to say. Keep up the good work. All right, Jonathan. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Robin Hood. I think it's a really good application. Our, our buddies, what's their names? Um, from Market Snacks is now purchased yes. via Robin Hood. Robin Hood, yep. Um, so, but I would be careful with like trading programs, you know, I, I think buying ETFs, buying a total U S stock market index fund, something like that. S and P 500, um, total, um, world market fund. You know, that's where I would start, Jonathan. It sounds like you got, um, the debt under control. And if you want to start savings, I would look at a, you know, Roth IRA and pump as much money in there as you possibly can. And I wouldn't get too fancy here. I would just do something um, somewhat easy, like a total U.S. stock market fund or a world index fund. Um, and I think you're good to go. So, Jonathan, while you're listening to Your Money, Your Wealth, Big Al is listening to Earthquake Podcasts. And those of you who have listened to YMYW way back since episode 119, when we had Joe Saul Seahigh on the show, may recall that Joe Anderson's favorite podcast of all time is Stacking Benjamins. Check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for that link. For transcripts of today's episode and to see Joe and Big Al's video response to this next question. To get answers to your questions, and maybe even some questions you didn't ask, scroll down yourmoneyyourwealth.com, hit the Ask Joe and Al on air button, and send your question or comment to the fellows as a voice recording or an email. Nick. Yeah. Uh, from Moreno Valley, California. I am 54 and plan to retire to the Philippines in January 2020. Uh, totally monthly income needed to start is 4000 bucks. All right. A lot of people going to different places, Al. Yeah, I think that's we cool. Got Dominican Republic. We got the Philippines. Where are you going to go? Uh, we're going to go to uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> Who's we? <laughs> He and his mom. Yeah. <laughs> Ruthie. Ruthie. Yeah. She's got an extra room in her house, doesn't yes. she? Yes. Yes, cool. she does. She's going to miss the winter in San Diego. Then. Yeah. Um, I don't know where the hell I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere, though, after this show. <laughs> <laughs> You're the golf course. going to go as far away from me I, as you I, possibly I am. can. I'm going to somewhere. Yeah. All right. I'm 54. Uh, plan to retire to the Philippines in 2020. Okay. Total monthly income needed is $4,000. We will have no mortgage when retire. Currently, home will be sold at a gain of $80,000 to pay off home in Philippines and money left to purchase car and build a vacation home. Holy buckets. Cool. You could pay off your home, right. buy a car, and, and a, a build a vacation home for eighty grand. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, my pension starts at, uh, let's call it $2,000 a month with 50% survivor. At age 55. At um, we will start with drawing 3% from 401k with 3% inflation or wait two more years and get $2,400 a month from pension and withdraw $4,000 a year from the 401k for two years. We will claim Social Security at $65,000, $3,000 a month. What, what, what's your question, Nick? 
We have five hundred fifty grand in four hundred one k's, hundred twenty thousand dollars in Roth, twelve thousand dollars in IRA, hundred twenty thousand dollars in brokerage accounts, eight thousand savings bond, fourteen thousand in a Philippine um, a mutual fund, seventy five thousand emergency funds. Man, you're doing pretty good, Nick. Uh, Forty sixty split. My question, thank God, here it is: <laughs> is should I do an annuity, pension, or lump sum? Okay, so um, let me see. The total amount after retirement is three hundred eighty thousand fifty-five or four. Well, what's the, what's the pension amount? Doesn't even give us. A, how am I going to answer your question, Nick, when you when I don't have the annuity amount? Maybe that's the three eighty. If you keep reading, the total amount after retirement is three hundred eighty thousand dollars at fifty-five or four hundred twenty thousand if I wait two years. Before well, that, I start pension. That's the lump sum, and the pension you already read. It's $1,900 at age 55, and if he waits two more years, it's 2400 Oh, okay. I All think. Right. And so there's a few ways to try to figure this thing out. Um, there has to be a couple variables. Uh, life expectancy is the biggest. Sure. Is that, all right, um, because when you have a standard pension, most people will have options. And Nick has options, and it will be, all right, would you like a lump sum? Uh, we'll pay, cut you a check right now. In his case, it was about $380,000 lump sum, and his annuity or income payment, he could either take the $380,000, or they say, you know what, we'll keep the $380,000, we'll pay you $1,900 a month for the rest of your life. Right. Okay? So that sounds pretty good. Uh, the other option is that he's going to wait two years. And say I'm going to take four hundred twenty thousand dollars versus the three eighty, uh, or I will get twenty four hundred dollars per month for the rest of my life. So what Nick needs to do is he needs to figure out what the internal rate of return is on that cash flow stream, because then he can compare. Uh, because I would say, Al, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago with pension plans, the internal rate of returns were quite high. So it would make zero sense to take the lump sum because the, the, the either the government or the employer or whatever is giving you such a high payment that it would be almost impossible for you to take the lump sum and try to replicate that income stream. Right. And if it's guaranteed by, quote unquote, by th that organization, well, you know, the, the, those are a lot of positives. However, what has happened today is that the amount of payment versus lump sum has slowly gone down uh, because a, a lot of these companies can't afford these pension plans. Right. Uh, before they did some terrible actuarial tables of figuring out, they mismanaged, we had 2008, 2000, and all sorts of Variety of things. Right, and fixed income has been really low for right. quite a while. So it's like, okay, well, here I'm trying to get some income, and then my interest rates on my bonds are, you know, one or two percent. Right. So we did a little bit of math, and the internal, and right now, if you run this stuff to life expectancy, age 85, I mean, it's almost a break even, right? The companies are smart, they, they get this stuff too. They're not going to favor one or the other. Um, it's like, okay, well, here, if you want this, we'll give it to you. If you want that, we'll give it to you. There's no really better deal in most cases. The better deal is going to be based on the individual to see how long they live. If they're going to live a long time, then the annuity payment, that internal rate of return is going to increase. Sure. If they die prematurely, of course, then their internal rate of return is going to be a lot lower. 
And so, if, what did we run? Until age 95 with this gentleman? Correct. Right? So, let's say if Nick lives until age 95, so that's a 40-year life expectancy, his internal rate of return over that 40 years if he took the annuity payment was roughly 5%. So then, Nick's got to make a decision to say, well, okay, I have a guaranteed fixed income for the rest of my life if that company's still around and that pension's still going to come to me. So, I guess that's another risk. Yes. Well, plus the, it's a 50% survivor. And if he dies, then the wife only gets 50%. Correct. Um, at 5%, what would you do, Al? Would you take the annuity or would you take the lump sum? Uh, well, I would probably take the lump sum just to have more control over it, I think. I think so, too. At 5 if it was 6 or 7 yeah, I would probably take the annuity. Yeah, and I think and the way that you described is the best and correct way to do it, but a lot of people don't really know how to do that. Here's a shortcut, just to give you an idea, is just take the monthly payments, in this case $1,900, multiply it by 12 to get the annual amount, divide that into the lump sum, and see what the see what the distribution rate is. And if it's 8% or higher, then maybe you might want to you might want to consider the payment stream. If it's six percent or lower, uh, you might want to consider the lump sum. It, it, it's and it kind of depends. Of course, all this is predicated on what your expectation is on life expectancy. Right. And a lot of people tend to like to take the lump sum just because it's a known thing. As a, we don't really know how long we're going to live. And in this particular case, the numbers he gave us was fifty percent survivor. So this could all change if he passes, and then his spouse only gets half of it. Uh, and Nick has about, uh, let's see, five, six, seven, I don't know, 800000 already in liquid assets. He's only looking to live off of $4,000. Um, uh, was that a, a, a month? And so yep. it's like, okay, well, I don't know. You're, you're going to have Social Security of a couple thousand dollars. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it, it all depends on life expectancy and control. Uh, but I think the internal rate of return on the overall cash flow streams, the the net present value, I guess, of of what he's going to receive from cash flows from that pension, um, is is decent. Um, so it's looking at risk at that point. Do I do I think I can beat five percent over thirty forty years in a, in my portfolio? If I feel that I could do that, then maybe you invest it yourself. If you say, you know what, five percent, I'm happy with. If I got five percent for the rest of my life, then take the pension. Right. And, and of course, now, what if you think you're going to live to 105? Yeah, then you absolutely take the pension. Right, because yeah. it changes then. Yeah, but... Um, but we don't know that, do we? No. And, uh, At least most of us. You don't know how long you're going to live, do you? Uh, no, I wish... I, no, I don't <laughs> wish I, I knew that. Okay, we have one. Any recommendations for a good tax-efficient mutual fund to hold in a taxable account? I would say any type of index fund. Uh, the, the problem with the mutual funds is if you get an actively traded fund that has a fund manager that's buying and selling, trying to beat the market, that causes a lot of taxation. If you get an index-type fund, they tend to hold the, the investments longer term, so you don't have that many buys and sells. Uh, so I guess that's, that would be one thing. Another thing to consider is, depending upon the time of year when you're buying this fund, uh, they, the funds tend to declare their dividends, their capital gain dividends, in mid-December. So you might want to wait until after that happens because you, we would get basically a dividend for the whole year, even though you just invested. So be aware of the timing. Um, my wife is thinking about opening a Roth IRA at Schwab. She wants to use the money to help our kids in the future. She is fully funding her 401k at work. She is thinking about a target date fund or all-in-one fund 
like total stock market. She's 39 and the kids are 9 and 12. Any recommendations? Thanks. What do you think of Target 8 funds? Um, I don't know if you're going to put a couple hundred bucks in it. Um, but I don't understand that she's thinking about a Target date fund for her kids? Is that what the question no. states? Let's see. Let's go back. She My wants, wife is thinking to open wants, a Roth IRA at Schwab. She wants to use the money to help our kids in the future. So why? Okay. Well, you're 39 years old. How much money do you guys have? I mean, you got a ton and you want to use the Roth IRA for your kids? That doesn't make any sense. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's, that's my <laughs> that's answer. That's your answer? That's my answer. Okay. Save for yourself first. Right. Especially in a Roth. You can only put a couple thousand bucks in the dang thing anyway. All right, Andy, I'm sorry about your tragic experience <laughs> over the weekend. Thank I'm you. glad that we got that straightened out. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Thanks a lot for listening. Hey, if you're into funny outtakes, stick around at the end of this episode for some of the derails from today's show. Special thanks to our guest, Ashley Patrick of BudgetsMadeEasy.com. Visit the podcast show notes at YourMoneyYourWealth.com for links to Ashley's seven-day budget makeover course and her budget planner for help starting your budget today. While you're at YourMoneyYourWealth.com, share the YMYW podcast and be sure to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, listen on YouTube, or on your favorite podcast app. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner, just click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Joe hits puberty, the Brady Bunch, and the great state of Texas. These are the derails for the week of April 9, 2019 on Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. Peter Brady just stepped in. <laughs> the, yes. Are you going through the change? Just, <laughs> Congratulations like on puberty. Range. <laughs> it's time to change. I do. I remember think that I, episode? I do remember that episode. <laughs> so do I. Ah, uh, boy. Not, you weren't even born yet. I probably was. My mom was like the biggest Brady Bunch fan. So you got to see it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, when it was like on whatever the reruns and all that right. stuff. So, um, did you ever like see the like the very Brady Christmas? <laughs> probably. I probably put it out of my mind. Oh, they were so good. <laughs> I yeah. saw Andy Williams Christmas. When Mr. Brady got caught in a, um, like there was a, a building that collapsed. Oh. You know, he was an architect. Oh, He yeah. did a pretty shoddy job, or maybe one of his guys did a shoddy <laughs> got job. It. He got stuck yeah. in it. When and it then collapsed. they all sang a song and lit a candle. Next thing you know, he comes out of the rubble. Wow. And then they had a great Christmas. Alice made a nice I, turkey. I think I missed that somehow. Oh, yeah. Peter was like a NASCAR driver. I think Cindy was on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Got it. Well, well, oh, was this like a return of the Brady yes, Bunch when they were older? The very Brady oh, Christmas. Got it. Yeah. yeah I, I, and like I, Greg's going through a divorce. Definitely he, did not see that. Took out his guitar again and <laughs> sang some songs. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for informing me. Yeah. Well, if you guys, you know, there you go. It's on Netflix, probably. Okay. Uh, let's uh, let's go back to the emails. We got Kevin from Texas. Uh, Kevin, I wonder whereabouts in Texas. Love Texas. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us. 
What part of Texas do you love? I love all parts of Texas. You do? Yes. The whole thing. The whole big ass <laughs> state like, of Texas. Yeah. Right. Okay. Drop me in anywhere. You ever been there? I have. <laughs> I have been to Texas. Wondering. I have. I've okay. been to Austin, Texas. I've been to El Paso, Texas. I've okay. been to um, Dallas, Texas. I have been to... Been to Houston? I've never been to H-Town. Okay. I lived in Texas. Yeah, whereabouts? Harlingen. That's another H-Town. It's on the border <laughs> down by Mexico. Of what border? The southern border. I know, but what city? What was it's the border town? close to um, Corpus Christi. Corpus So that's... East side. East side. Yeah. Um, okay, so with that. Okay, Kevin, that was our trivia, or that's our discussion <laughs> on Texas. Sorry about that. I don't know where the hell I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere, though, after this show. <laughs> the golf course. going to go as far away from me I, as you I, possibly I am. can. I am. I'm going to somewhere. Yeah. All right. Um, Texas. I'm going to Texas. Texas. I'm going to hang out with Kevin. When okay. he's in Dominican Republic, I'll take care of his house. All right. There you go. Um, so you're going to take a sabbatical? You're young enough to take yes, it. Yes. Yes, I am. And then it might actually be called retire. I might not come back. <laughs> it could be retirement, <laughs> it could too. Be. Those were your derails for this podcast episode, and we will see you next week, friends.